Um, so please uh, do your best to uh, distance and uh, use your masks uh, when you're up and around. And uh, we just uh, ask everyone to be careful of being around the food. And we realize that for various reasons, uh, some people are more uh, need to be more careful than others. And so if you could just uh, think of the other person and be careful as you're getting food and things like that. And uh, hopefully it, it goes well this morning and we can continue. Uh, and so just kind of try to give everybody a little bit of grace and even though it may be a little out of your comfort zone. Uh, Monday, Thursday, our uh, Lord's Supper uh, on this coming Thursday uh, at 7 o'clock. Uh, there will be no prayer meeting. This will be instead of prayer meeting or in addition to prayer meeting. Uh, and uh, we will be having communion. Uh, invite it's a good time of fellowship and uh, a wonderful time so I would encourage you uh, to consider being here on on Thursday evening at seven o'clock and uh, Easter Sunday on Sunday and uh, so we have uh, the uh, uh, announcements invitations rather that's the word the invitations uh, up back so uh, if you haven't had a chance to grab a couple of those and to invite a friend, uh, you only have until next week to get them here on Easter. So, uh, and there will be no Sunday school on uh, Easter as well. Uh, check out the carpeting upstairs and, uh, and where they started downstairs. And uh, it's looking good and they're uh, planning on having it uh, having it done um, before uh, Easter Sunday. So we're, we're super thankful for that. Uh, any other announcements that need to be made this morning? Donna. The sign-up sheet is in the back for Easter breakfast, community breakfast right. next Sunday. Good, good, yes. And uh, sunrise service, always a wonderful time, uh, quite well attended, uh, considering it's uh, 6 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. Uh, but to always have a wonderful time of fellowship there as well. So if, you, if you're able to, uh, and some people are up that time anyways, and others are not. Uh, so if, uh, if you're not doing anything at 6 o'clock uh, next Sunday morning, we'd love to have you here. Uh, any other announcements? Luther? Did I see another hand there? Maybe not. All right. Well, it's good to be here this morning. Let's open uh, this morning with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here in your house this morning. And we're so glad to see so many things going on here and, and uh, so thankful for the uh, uh, the construction of the addition and, and how we're nearing completion. And we just thank you for those faithful servants that have given over the, over the many, many years uh, to see this uh, happen. And we're just so thankful for that. And uh, 
We thank you that uh, we can again be here this morning, and we pray that you'd watch over our service. We pray that you would just help us be mindful this week as we uh, come towards uh, Easter morning. Uh, just be, help us be mindful of uh, what your son did for us on the cross uh, that week. And we pray that you'd help us to be grateful and thankful. We pray that everything that we say and do this morning would be for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <coughs> and this morning, <coughs> excuse me, uh, this morning, our scripture reading will be a responsive reading from Psalm 118, and uh, you will find that on the back of your uh, bulletin. And as you can see, it has a place for, uh, for, uh, for the, uh, the leader and for the people, and so just, uh, uh, so just follow along. All right. <clears throat> The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. <clears throat> Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word today. Amen. And if you would stand and turn with me to number 296, we will sing Hosanna. And then 297. Lord, oh. 
let's sing the first verse again. Uh, it's been a long time since I sung that, and uh, my timing is not quite there yet either. But let's try the first verse again. It's a great song. Let's sing it again. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Lord, we lift up your name with hearts full of praise. Be exalted, O Lord, my God, Hosanna in the highest. Amen. Amen. And now we'll sing number 297. And I was trying to pick out the tune of that earlier, and I didn't. So uh, I assume I know this song. <laughs> all right. <laughs> sing all three verses of 297. Amen. Ah, yes. Hosanna, loud Hosanna, the little children sang through pillared court and temple. The lovely anthem rang to Jesus who had blessed them, close folded to his breast. The children sang their praises, the simplest and the best. From all of that they followed, mid an exultant crowd, the victor palm branch waving and chanting clear and loud. The scorn that little children should on his bidding wait. Hosanna in the highest, that ancient song we sing, for Christ is our Redeemer, the Lord of heaven our King. Oh, may may be seated. Boys, a lot of good memories singing some of those songs. And now would the uh, ushers come forward for the morning offering, please. And if you have a, uh, a prayer request, uh, if you'd like to just drop that in the offering plate as it's going by.
please? Amen. And remain standing, and uh, and we will sing. It was finished upon that cross, and I believe it's in your handout. You have a handout. Excellent. It was finished upon that cross. It's a new song as of last week. We've sung it once already. We'll sing it all the more strongly today. God, 
I rejoice in Jesus' victory. It was finished upon that cross. It was finished upon that cross. It was finished upon that cross. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. I'm going to take some time now to go, go to the Lord in prayer. Some prayer cards here that came in the offering. Any other uh, requests or thanksgivings or praises to bring before the Lord? Allison, your usual. Okay. We'll continue to pray for Allison, her sister Andrea, and for Jim as well. Other prayers, thanksgivings, praises? Dean. <laughs> so I, I heard a request there for Dean to enjoy singing more. <laughs> All right, Christina. Okay. Continue to be praying for the Barrows family. Yes, Sharon. Okay. Okay, much closer. Wonderful. Sharon's grand Sharon and Lester's granddaughter moving back to Maryland. So much closer than Washington. Nancy. Amen. Mm. So Fred's home and well, and he got home last night, right? Yesterday afternoon, and so praise from Nancy uh, for that and for, for the gift of family. Amen. Continue to pray for Herm. How's Herm doing? Okay. Hmm. is good. We'll keep praying for her. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Okay, your grandmother, Chris, has been having some, what's that? Great grandmother. Okay. Who's had some strokes. We'll pray for her. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning with a joyful, with joyful hearts, singing praises to your name. And we, we want to come into your presence with thanksgiving. And we're, we're doing all this singing and this shouting because you are a good and awesome God. And you have done great things through Jesus. 
We acknowledge, God, you're the creator. You're the king above all kings. Everything that is belongs to you. The, the hills, the rivers, the oceans, the mountains. It's all yours. We belong to you, Father. Our homes, everything we have, this town, this state, this nation, it's all yours. So we praise you. We kneel before you because you're, you're our maker. We're the sheep of your pasture. We confess, Lord, like sheep, like sheep we often go astray. Um, we, we know your law and your commands. It's clear to, to love you, our God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we confess, Father, we often fall short of that, that great and glorious standard. We confess that in word and deed, our hearts and hands often stray from the, the right worship that you deserve. We often find ourselves straying into idolatry. We confess, Lord, our love for our neighbors is often half-hearted or mixed with impure motives. So we bring it all to you, Father. We ask that you'd search our hearts, find any impure way within us. We want to confess it all and bring it out into the light. We'll do that silently now for a moment. Pray, Lord, as the psalmist prayed. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. With you, Lord, there is steadfast love. And, and we found that steadfast love in Jesus. We ask for forgiveness with confidence, knowing that Jesus' perfect work on the cross really is enough to cleanse us from our sins to make us white as snow. Through Christ's blood, Lord, we ask that you'd continually, day by day, free us from the guilt, the shame, and the power of our sin. And that by your spirit, you'd lead us to walk in newness of life. We have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We lift up, Lord, all those who are uh, hurting and sick around us. We lift up, Lord, many requests, many concerns that are on our hearts this morning, as well as many praises. We have so much to be thankful for. We th we're thankful, Lord, for the, the building project as it's come together. We're thankful for the many hands that have contributed we're thankful, Lord, for the, your faithfulness that's shown through all of it, and it's a joy to see it come together. Pray that everything would go smoothly this week, that we'd be able to celebrate Easter with a finished edition. The timing there is perfect, Lord. It's your timing. We ask that you'd, uh, in the words of this prayer card, you'd fill your house on Easter, uh, that there would be many with us uh, visiting next week who are we're anxious to hear about the, the risen Redeemer. We pray for Herm, Lord. We thank you for him. 
Thank you for his, his faithfulness through trial. We pray that uh, he'd be well enough to be able to come to church this Sunday on Easter. We, uh, we pray for Fred, Lord. We're, we're thankful that he's home, no longer in the hospital, but comfortable in his house. And pray that his recovery would go well. Um, that uh, that uh, he'd, he'd come back to full health and be able to join us as well next week. Lord, we pray for a family in Palermo whose trailer completely burned early this morning. I don't know who these people are, but we, we, we lift them up to you. Please help them. Um, comfort them. Lord, pray that resources would be made available for them. Pray that you'd uh, show us how to help if we can. Pray especially, Lord, for the Christians in Palermo, that they'd be able to gather around this family. Um, they might be ministered to by the body of Christ. We lift up Allison to you, Lord. Pray that you continue to comfort her, strengthen her, help her to walk in righteousness and holiness. Pray for Jim as well. Pray that you'd do a work in his heart. Pray for Andrea. Pray that you'd draw her to you, Jesus, by your spirit, powerfully work in her life. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful, wonderful privilege it is to gather with your people and to, to sing praises to you. We pray that week by week you would, you would continue to increase the joy of our praises, that um, whatever comes out of our mouths in terms of musical uh, ability or not, that our hearts would be led to worship you, that we wouldn't just come here and do dry formalism and sing because we're being told to, but that you would genuinely reach into our hearts by your spirit and lead us to, to exalt in the person and the work of Jesus. Pray for the Barrows family. Pray that you'd be with them. Comfort them, lead them, guide them, give them wisdom um, as to how to deal with trial in a way that glorifies you. Thank you. We praise you for Sharon's granddaughter coming back, um, not to Maine, but closer. And uh, pray that that would increase her opportunities to see her. And we pray, Lord, for um, Elijah's great-grandmother, Chris. I pray that you'd be with her, her, you'd strengthen her, that you'd bring her to full health, that you'd give the doctors wisdom um, in how to treat her, that you'd bring healing to her body, that she'd be well. We thank you, Father, for week by week continual, continual signs that you're at work among us. You're growing us, making us more like Jesus, and that you're bringing other people to you, working in their hearts. Teach us, Lord, to recognize where you're at work around us. You are at work around us, even in the events of our time, and we don't want to miss out. We want to be a part of what you're doing. We're, we're a part of the body of Christ. We ask that you bring revival to Maine in our lifetime. 
a mighty move of your spirit, either in our lifetime or the lifetime of our children. Blow on the coals of the church in Maine and bring us to life. Send your spirit, Lord, and blow on this state. We lift up, Lord, all the the gospel-preaching churches around us, many believers in our area. We pray that you'd be with them, strengthen, strengthen them, build healthy churches, Lord, in this state, that your gospel would be clearly proclaimed and clearly lived out before those who are lost. Stir in the hearts of those around us in our communities who are searching for you. We, we can think of names, Lord, of neighbors and family members who are desperately in need of you. We ask that you do a work in their hearts. Send us out as laborers into your harvest. Teach us to communicate the gospel faithfully and to live lives that speak accurately of your character and your love. We pray, Lord, finally for all those who are gathering this Sunday and next Sunday around the world in places where there's great persecution. We know that often um, those who seek to tear down your church um, uh, deem it right and fitting to attack Christians around Holy Week and Easter. And so we pray, Lord, against those efforts pray that you protect our brothers and sisters worldwide. We're gonna gather together to celebrate your resurrection and we take it so for granted that we can do that without fear. And we, we pray, Lord, for our brothers and sisters around the world that they, not only that they would be safe, but that they would be faithful. That you'd strengthen them to stay true to the name of Jesus even despite great persecution. We pray that you'd give us that same steadfastness. Be with us this morning, Lord. Speak to us by your word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Those of you who are here for Sunday school this morning got a sneak preview of our text this morning. As part of our sword drill for Sunday school, usually I have the kids read a a verse or two. But the last passage this morning was 11 whole verses, and it's our text for the morning. Mark 11, verses 1 through 11. And Gabriel did a great job reading it. This is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is always the Sunday right before Easter, and it's the day when the church around the world traditionally remembers Christ's entry into Jerusalem on the way to the cross. So only a short time before Jesus was rejected and killed by the Jewish leaders and the Roman authorities, he was given this hero's welcome into the city of Jerusalem. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Mark 11, verses 1 through 11. I suppose I should open there. Mark 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Tell them, The Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. 
They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we remember your son's triumphal entry, um, that we would be introduced afresh to Jesus. As we've prayed all along through our study in Mark, we ask, Lord, that you, you would help us to meet the real Jesus. Meet us now by the power of your spirit and your word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. There's a, there's a great many people in our culture, in our state, even in our town, who do not see the point in worshiping Jesus. What's the point? What's the use? Many people have low view of Jesus. They may admit, sure, he was a great teacher, even some kind of miracle worker or prophet, but they go no further than that. They certainly don't see Jesus as their king. And so they do not worship him. Even as Christians, we can struggle with a, a functionally low view of Jesus. A person can claim to believe that Jesus is their king without actually living like it giving lip service to Jesus' glory and kingship without ever truly worshiping him with their lives. My prayer this morning is that our passage would be an antidote, an antidote to, to those kinds of low views of Jesus. Because here on his way into Jerusalem, there was absolutely no doubt about who Jesus was. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. It was true then, it's true today, and it will be true for all eternity. Jesus is the king, so he's worth worshiping. That's the big idea this morning. My prayer is that when we leave today, we would have such an exalted view of who Jesus is that when we leave and enter into Holy Week, we would be ready to pour out our, our lives in praise to Jesus. Ready to sing his praises and to bow at his feet like these crowds that he met on the way into Jerusalem. Big idea again, Jesus is the king, so he's worth worshiping. And as we follow Jesus here into Jerusalem, I want to consider three facets of Jesus' kingship, three truths about what kind of king he is. 
There's been many kings in the world. Why is this king worth worshiping? What's so great about this Jesus? We're going to see three answers to that question in our text this morning. Jesus is the king who is long foretold. Jesus is the king who shows humility. And Jesus is the king who saves. First, we're going to see that Jesus is the king who is long foretold. Verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives. So Bethphage, Bethany, and the Mount of Olives, these are all right outside the city of Jerusalem. And before entering the city, kind of sitting in the staging ground for this entrance, Jesus paid special attention to how he was going to go in to the city, right? If the, if the president of the United States was flying in, right, he would, he would come in on Air Force One, right? Or if the Queen of England was going to enter Jerusalem, she would have come in like a, a golden carriage or something, right? But Jesus had divine arrangements to ride a donkey. A donkey. Verse 1 again. And when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. So as these events surrounding the acquisition of a donkey unfolded, Jesus fulfilled two prophetic promises, one very great and one very small. The first promise that Jesus fulfilled was a very small one, the promise that they would find a donkey in a very specific place and that they would be able to bring it back to Jesus just by saying, the Lord wants it, right? Jesus sent them out with instructions, they followed them to a T, and they were successful, just a small picture of Jesus' faithfulness. When we do what he says, he follows through. Every time, he keeps his word. That's the first prophetic promise that was fulfilled. The second promise was much bigger and much more ancient. The word here in Mark's account is, uh, is colt, which just means either a young donkey or a young horse. And in this case, we know it's the cult of a donkey because the other gospel writers specifically tell us this animal is a donkey, a young donkey. So why, why so much trouble on the part of Jesus to ride in on a donkey? The answer is found in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9. Zechariah was a prophet who spoke to God's people uh, in the, the very early years after their return from exile. After being held in captivity for many, many years, the people had returned, but these fledgling settlers in Jerusalem needed encouragement. They were surrounded by enemies. They were struggling to rebuild the temple. And a part of Zechariah's encouragement came in the form of a prophecy, 
And keep in mind, this is given some 500 years before the coming of Christ. Zechariah 9, verses 9 through 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So one day, Zechariah prophesied this great king would come and he would bring peace world peace, basically, to these embattled people, and he would reign over the whole world. And many of the prophets also foretold the coming of this Messiah King, this great King who was to come, who was going to restore God's people and bring everlasting peace. And Zechariah told these people, if you're looking for this great King, he's going to come, but watch out for this sign. Messiah King will come riding on a donkey. So Jesus' special arrangement for a donkey here was very intentional. He really only walked for the rest of your the rest of his ministry, as you read the Gospels, just walking from place to place. Um, Judea and Galilee, it's it's not very big. You could walk pretty much anywhere. But on this occasion, he chose a donkey so that the people in Jerusalem would see Jesus on a donkey and hear Zechariah's words echo in their ears, right? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. Jesus chose a donkey so that the people could see this man is the Messiah. Jesus is the king that had been long foretold. When I was a kid, I was very confused (laughs) about many things. But specifically, I had a lot of confusion as to how the Bible fit together. I would open up in the Gospels, and I'd read about Jesus. I was like, oh, those are nice stories, right? And I'd flip over to, to Judges, and I'd read about war and intrigue and then I'd flip over to Daniel and I'd read about giant statues and mysterious prophecies and and quite frankly I just couldn't see how it all fit together it's just a bunch of strange stories I couldn't see how it all fit together and I actually I think it worried that it didn't but the more I study scripture the more I see how every part fits together in a unified whole. This whole book, from start to finish, records the true history of God's dealing with humankind across the years. And all of it, from the patriarchs in Genesis to the kings to the prophets, all of the Old Testament is knit together by one hope. One hope. The hope of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah King. And this this matters. It matters for understanding the Old Testament. 
but it matters for understanding Jesus' entry here into Jerusalem. This wasn't some afterthought on the part of Jesus. This wasn't some half-baked plan hatched in the wee hours of the night. Jesus didn't come to claim kingship on a whim. In fact, the whole arc of history, the whole story of humanity was all about the coming of this king who walked into Jerusalem that day. From the beginning, his coming had been long foretold by the prophets, and even before the ages began, God had already planned this entry into Jerusalem. Before God poured the foundations of the heavens, he foresaw the way we humans would dig our own graves by sinning against him and abandoning the God who made us. Before he even made Adam and Eve, God had a plan to save lost humanity from our own self-destruction. And the plan was a person. It's Jesus. God the Son who was sent into the world to take on human flesh and to reestablish the kingdom of God, to win back a wayward world. And that, that plan was hinted at and promised across the ages and across the pages of the Old Testament, including this promise of a, a king on a donkey in Zechariah. And on Palm Sunday, the king finally showed up, front and center, all eyes on the Messiah. Remember, up until this point, Jesus had actually been quite quiet about his identity as the Messiah came, right? Over and over, we, we, we hear Jesus say these confusing things, right? Someone will say, oh, Jesus, you're the Messiah. He says, please don't tell anyone. Mum's the word. His time to go public wasn't yet. But here at the gates of Jerusalem, the time had come. Jesus wasn't telling anyone to keep quiet. The king was long foretold was going public. That's why Jesus got on the back of the donkey. Remember our big idea. Jesus is the king, so he's worth worshiping. And when we consider that Jesus is the one king towards which all of history bends... How can we stop from worshiping him? Jesus is the king who was long foretold. When the people saw him on a donkey, they, they knew who they were seeing and they couldn't shut up. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Right, the kingdom of David was, was the messianic kingdom. Another of the Old Testament promises which foretold Messiah was the promise of a king who would reign on David's throne. And the crowd saw it. They put the pieces together. And they couldn't shut up about it. Because God had been orchestrating all of history to climax in the coming of the Messiah into his kingdom. And now Messiah was here. Hosanna! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And we too should be led to worship Jesus for these very reasons. Jesus is not just some peripheral historical figure. He's not an ancient myth and he's not an irrelevant old codger. 
After his resurrection, he ascended into heaven where he is even now seated at the right hand of the Father. Where he is even now guiding all the events of all the heavens and all the earth towards the final judgment. When he will rid the world of evil and gloriously remake the heavens and the earth. Jesus is the center point and king of history and of time itself. He's the king. Do you believe that? If you believe that, how can we not worship him? How can we not give him our lives, our everything? Jesus is the king who was long foretold, so he's worth worshiping. That's our first point. Secondly, Jesus is the king who knows humility. Jesus is the king who knows humility. Jesus is the great king over all things, but his, great, but his greatness, um, in his greatness, there's great love and great willingness to stoop low for needy people, like a dad who gets down on his kid's level when they're hurt. Listen to Zechariah's words again. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, humble and mounted on a donkey. What would you expect a king to be riding? White stallion. A, a white stallion, a war horse, yeah. A, a mighty steed, or maybe riding in a golden chariot, right, with an army behind. Not this king. The king who was foretold was to be a humble king, humble and mounted on a donkey, not on a tank. This is important to understand. Here at the gates of Jerusalem was Jesus' greatest chance for worldly glory yet. He was finally going public. And he rode in on a donkey, which is just another way of getting across his humility. Last week, and we've, we've hammered this home a number of times because Jesus did, right? Jesus did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When the king of history and the lord of the universe came into town, he rode on a donkey. He came in humility. And I think, friends, sometimes to know that Jesus is the great king rightly leads us to tremble and we're intimidated by his power. We should be. To know that the one who holds all history and everything in his hands knows us can be a terrifying thing. We should worship Christ for his kingly power. But don't stand at a distance out of fear. When the king showed up, he rode on a donkey. He came with a heart for the lowly, for the broken, for the sinners. And this too should lead us to worship. His, his eternal kingship, long foretold, makes us marvel at his greatness. But his humility, coming on a donkey, leads us to see that Jesus is not a king who is so high and so holy that he's out of reach. 
His power and his wrath is focused towards those who set themselves against him in pride. But for those who confess their sin, who come to him in repentance and humility and faith, Jesus never turns away. Never. He always welcomes sinners who come to him. Every single time. He's always been faithful. Do you believe that? Do you believe that about him? Because when you do, your heart will erupt in grateful praise to the humble king. What a wonderful king we have. Great and merciful, mighty and humble. Jesus is the king who came in humility, so he's worth worshiping. John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In love and humility, the great king came to save. In fact, that's our third point. Jesus is the king who saves. Verse 8. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they'd cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now we've, we've already spoken about some of the words spoken here. In pointing to the coming kingdom of David, they were recognizing this is Messiah. This is the Messiah King. But there's a couple of other words in there too. They, they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. What on earth does Hosanna mean? It's not just worshipful nonsense syllables. It's a Hebrew word and it means save us. Save us. Please save us. Save us now. It's different from hallelujah, right? Hallelujah means praise to God. Hosanna means Save us, God. And as Jesus walked into Jerusalem, this great crowd of people was crying out for God to save them through Messiah. Salvation was on their doorstep, and they could feel it. Of course, they didn't understand exactly what they were asking for. As we've said in past weeks, the, the popular conception at the time was that Messiah was supposed to come in and conquer the Romans and free the Jewish people. Save us from Rome was what some of them meant in saying, Hosanna. But is that what happened after Jesus entered Jerusalem? Did Jesus storm Jerusalem with a mighty army? Did he bring in heavenly tanks and topple the Roman oppressors? What kind of king was this really? Take a look at verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is fascinating. After Jesus' warm welcome at the gate, he took a look around and left. Notice 
some things that didn't happen. He wasn't welcomed by the authorities. His victorious heavenly army never appeared. In some ways, it feels like an anticlimactic end to this triumphal entry. All the hubbub from the crowd at the gate, and then Christ leaves, accompanied only by the twelve. Jesus did not find worldly triumph in Jerusalem because he wasn't looking for it. True, he came as the king. But if the people had only understood the song they were singing, they might have known what kind of king Jesus was. Many of the Psalms, we've already talked about how the whole Old Testament's about Jesus. Many of the Psalms are really Messiah songs. Songs anticipating the coming salvation of God. And they were actually quoting from one of these Messiah songs. Some of what the people were singing here was from Psalm 118. Psalm 118. Verse 25 goes like this out of Psalm 118. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Literally, Hosanna. Save us. And then verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Just word for word what these people were saying. They were quoting from Psalm 118. They would have known it really well, right? The, the Psalms were the hymn book of Israel. But if they just remembered a line from a, a few verses up in Psalm 118, they might have understood what was about to happen to the man that they hailed as king. Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus did not come to Jerusalem to be the king who was welcomed. He came to be the stone who was rejected. Rejected by his own people. Rejected by the people he came to save. But in fact, it was their by their rejection that he saved them. With every cry of, Hosanna, save us, rescue us, deliver us, Jesus fixed his gaze even more squarely on the cross. They wanted salvation from worldly powers, but as they cried out, save us, Jesus saw the greater oppression from which they needed saving, sin and death. The problem with the world is sin, our rebellion against God and our refusal to worship him. And the wage of sin is death. The sentence for treason against God is eternal punishment. And Jesus came to save, not from earthly rulers, but from the power of sin. And he did so by dying at the hands of earthly rulers. Paying the wage of sin, which he did not owe in our place. By his wounds, we've been healed. By his death, and then by his resurrection, Jesus has given life to all who believe. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you believe that the long-awaited humble king came to save? In other words, have you shouted Hosanna? Have you cried out to God and said, save me? Yes. Amen. Jesus is the king who came to save, so he's worth worshiping. 
but I'm jumping ahead. That's all the story for the week to come. On Palm Sunday, Jesus only entered Jerusalem. On that Thursday, Christ dined with his disciples at the Last Supper. We'll celebrate that on Thursday at 7. On that Friday, he was crucified. He's laid in a tomb. And on the first day of the week, on a Sunday, he rose again from the dead. We'll celebrate that a week from today. But for today, remember Palm Sunday. We're, you may have noticed, we're here at the end of the service and we still haven't spoken about palms. Ian, why do we have palms? Verse 8. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Mark doesn't specify for us what kind of branch was put on the road, but the other gospel writers uh, fill in the, uh, the details here. They tell us that the crowd, in fact, had palms, palm branches. Why did the people put clothing and branches on the road in front of Jesus? Both the clothes and the palms here have real significance. Years earlier, when Jehu, and if you remember Jehu from the kings, King Jehu was anointed king in 2 Kings 9, verse 13. And um, this messenger from a prophet came and told him, God's picked you, you're the king now. And he was alone in a room, but then he went out, and he told his friends, well, they asked him, what's all this about? Jehu, what's going on? And he said, well, the Lord has anointed me king. And this is what they did. Every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. Putting down a carpet of the clothes off your back was a sign of honor, a sign of submission. It's a way of saying, you are my king. In a sense, I'm underneath you. It's a way of celebrating the king, honoring him. The palms, too, were a a royal symbol of victory. In the Maccabean uh, rebellion, which happened between the end of the Old Testament and the coming of Christ, the the Jews were under subjection, but they, they took back power just for a few years under the leadership of Judas Maccabeus. And when Judas Maccabeus, the conquering hero, entered into Jerusalem having freed the people, what was he greeted with? Palms. The historical accounts tell us he he was greeted with palms. So together, the palms and the cloaks of Jesus' followers made for a royal welcome. It was a carpet of glory which showed this is the king. This is the victorious hero. We'll get to the gloom of Good Friday and we'll get to the joy of Easter Sunday. But for today, I want us to meditate on the worship of Palm Sunday. You may be here this morning feeling dry and weary in your spiritual life. 
Maybe you've known great seasons of spiritual vitality, but this is not one of them. Let me encourage you, this week before Easter, Holy Week, is a perfect opportunity for you to refresh yourself in the worship of God. Take some time this week. Set it aside for prayer, for scripture reading. Listen to some worship music. Sing some hymns. Ask God to prepare your heart to worship him rightly. Ask God to be cultivating in you a heart of worship that'll be ready for Monday, Thursday to remember the Last Supper. That'll be ready come Sunday for the, the joy of resurrection. Maybe spend less time on your phone this week or on Facebook or whatever it is that you use to keep yourself distracted. Steal some quiet moments to spend in the presence of your king. And as you pray, think on his kingship. Think about his glorious entry into Jerusalem. Remember that he's the king who was long foretold. Ponder his humility, his kind willingness to stoop down to our level. And refresh yourself in the king who came to save, the God who came to die, and worship him. We won't be able to literally lay palms at Christ's feet this week, unless he returns. But as we go from here with our palms, don't throw them out immediately. Keep them around for at least the next week. You can throw them out. I'm not, you don't, don't have to hold on to this for eternity, but keep it around for a little while and remember what it symbolizes, welcoming and worshiping the king because he is so worthy of welcome and of worship. So let's worship him this week, amen? Let's pray. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Save us, Jesus. You're our king. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our worship. And we need you desperately. We worship you as the king of the ages. We worship you as the humble king who loves us. We worship you, Jesus, as the one who came to save, and we thank you. Hosanna, save us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. reminder uh, we will be having coffee time as soon as uh, as soon as the service is over so uh, please uh, feel free to come out and enjoy some uh, some fellowship and some goodies let's sing number 301 we will glorify the king of kings we'll just sing it through to the end one time mm -hmm. 